0: When a doctor by the name Norman Baker bought the Haunted Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, he turned it into a cancer hospital, professing to the world that he had the miracle cure. Yep, that's right. A special elixir of his very own that would heal them of cancer, tumors, and countless other ailments. His hospital promotion ads read, The Baker Hospital, where sick folks get well. Sound too good to be true? It was. Dr. Baker wasn't even a doctor, and as you listen to this, you know it's 2023 and there is no cure for cancer. But he brought thousands of patients in at a hefty cost, happily taking their life savings from them and quote-unquote, treating them. These innocent people had no idea that he was nothing but a fraud, a swindler, and they had no way of knowing that his special elixir was just a useless concoction of watermelon seed, clover corn silk, and carbolic acid. As you may guess, many of Norman Baker's patients died at the hospital. And eventually, Norman Baker was exposed as a phony and was sent to prison. The hospital closed, and it was later reopened again as a hotel. But the story doesn't end there. Many of Dr. Baker's patients that passed away at the hospital seemingly never left. Hundreds and hundreds of ghostly encounters have been reported at the Crescent throughout the years. It's one of the most haunted hotels in America. Some say the most haunted hotel. And most shockingly, just a few years back, archaeologists discovered jars and jars of human specimen buried out on the property, along with a bone saw. And it all ties right back to Baker's Hospital of Horrors. Oh yeah, buckle up, folks. We're in for quite a ride with today's story. I'm your host, Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. I thought a while on what we should cover for our very first episode of 2023, and I landed on something that I know you all will enjoy, a majorly spooky story. Today, I wanna talk to you about the shocking case of Norman Baker and the haunting of the Crescent Hotel and Spa in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Because to understand one, you have to understand the other. The history of the hotel, what happened there, is one of the most shocking stories you will ever hear. And if you're digging these spooky stories, the case is the mysteries, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much, and to you kind souls that have left the nicest reviews so far, I read them and they make my day, so thank you all so much. It makes me so happy that this podcast is something that you all look forward to in your week. That's what it's all about. We got a lot to cover today, and as you know, I like to hop right into it. So let's go back to the start. The Victorian-style 1886 Crescent Hotel and Spa in Eureka Springs, aptly named, was built in 1886. It was designed by a well-known Missouri architect, and it cost a whopping $294,000 to build. The land, 27 acres in all, was chosen because of its majestic location. It's beautiful and scenic, and the Ozark town has views for miles. This hotel was built as a resort for the rich and the famous. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what the resort was offering, and I know you hear this now and think, this sounds a bit basic. Pretty much every resort has these amenities, but at the time, whoo, this was majorly luxurious. The 78-room Crescent Hotel Resort was offering large, exquisite rooms. Yes, you get a big old room. And a dining room that could fit 500 people, a grand ballroom that would host galas. Galas, people. It had a swimming pool, tennis courts, landscapes of flower gardens. The amenities of this hotel were unmatched at the time. Another reason they picked this location was because of the healing waters nearby. People from near and far came to the area in hopes of curing their ailments in the natural spring water. This goes back for centuries. Folks believe that natural spring water was a cure for diseases, sores, really anything you could think of. So the Crescent Hotel was a place amongst nature, where people could come, vacation, enjoy the good life, and hey, if you had any kind of sickness, any kind of infection or issue, the spring water will take care of that too. But from the beginning, it just seemed like there was something very different about the hotel. Notably, nearly immediately, the building saw tragedy. It's said that one of the Irish stonemasons that helped build the iconic crescent plunged to his death in what is now Room 218. It seems that ever since that day, strange things began happening. Room 218 went on to become one of the most haunted in the entire hotel, and throughout the years, this spirit, the ghost, became known and referred to as Michael. Eerily, by all accounts, Michael isn't a friendly ghost. He's been classified as a poltergeist. Guests and hotel staff alike have seen hands shooting out from the bathroom mirror. They will hear cries of a falling man coming from above as they sleep. The door in 218 will open and slam shut and sometimes the door will become stuck, it won't open, trapping them inside. As you can guess, as the well-to-do flocked to the crescent in its infancy, the hotel saw more and more paranormal activity and not just in room 218. The main floor, the dining room, and the surrounding areas had a lot of action. Employees frequently remarked that they would see playful spirits dressed in Victorian garb. During one Christmas season, the hotel dining room was closed, but staff walked in one morning to see the Christmas tree and all the packages underneath it had moved from one end of the room to the other. Staff asked around who did this, who moved the Christmas tree, to which everyone was confused and denied ever even touching it. To this day, it remains a mystery of what happened. Another time, a hotel waitress looked into the hotel mirror between the doors from the dining room and the kitchen to see a man and a woman in Victorian clothing facing each other, as if they were in the midst of a wedding. The groom then slowly turned, made eye contact with the waitress, and then the couple faded away. It was noted that the waitress quit her job shortly after this. The Crescent had a few years of success, boasting as this retreat for the lavish and wealthy, but it eventually became unmanageable in its size and stature and fell into disrepair. The Crescent sat empty for a while. Until 1908, when it was reopened as the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women, The Women's College closed down in 1924. It opened again in 1930 as a junior college, but then that closed down in 1934. Keep in mind, the Great Depression began around August 1929, so the nation, Eureka Springs, had fallen on hard times. People weren't taking these lush vacations like they used to. People didn't have the money to send their kids to college like they did before. But in 1937, things were about to change. The Crescent Hotel got a new owner, a man that would change the hotel forever. This man, who in the midst of a depression, had a lot of money and bought the Crescent for a steal because of the economic state of the world. This man was named Norman G. Baker, Dr. Norman G. Baker, or so he told everyone. He claimed to be a licensed physician, but he wasn't any regular old doctor. He had the cure for cancer, or so he claimed and he turned the Crescent Hotel into a hospital and health resort. The radio doctor bashed organized medicine, accusing them of being corrupt and profit-driven, meanwhile advertising that he himself had discovered the cure for various diseases, including cancer. His plan was to turn the Crescent into a one-stop shop for health and wellness. Cancer? Dr. Baker will cure you. Hemorrhoids? Dr. Baker will cure that too. In advertising for the hospital, his promotional ads read Baker Hospital, where sick folks get well. 2,000 feet above sea level, atop the Ozarks. We cure cancer, tumor without operation, radium, or X-ray. We treat all ailments, we do not cut out any organ. Every room with connecting bath, all owned and operated by Norman Baker. His business plan was to take in these patients, charge them their life savings, and examine them in the hotel's basement. These unknowing victims had no idea that Dr. Norman Baker was not a doctor, he had not trained in medical school, and he had no cure for cancer, or anything else for that matter. The only thing he was concerned with curing was his bank account. Dr. Norman Baker was a fraudster, and he wasn't new to the game. He had been run out of Iowa for practicing medicine without a license and got a bad reputation there for himself. So we know at this point, the Crescent Hotel already had reports of hauntings, supernatural activity, but Norman Baker was about to bring an entirely darker energy to the hotel, a sinister energy that is still felt to this day. And now a quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. To understand what happened at the Crescent Hotel, you have to understand Norman Baker and how we got here. Norman himself was born into a very wealthy, prominent family in a small Mississippi river town of Muscatine, Iowa. From the beginning, this guy loved to put on a show. In his younger years, he began his career as a vaudeville performer, and eventually he became more of an inventor and was interested in becoming a mentalist. So he started having these traveling shows where he would put on demonstrations where he would hypnotize people. So... We have someone that thinks that he's smarter than everyone else, sees himself as a magician, but he needed a bigger audience. So Baker went to the Muscatine radio station and begged them to give him his own radio show, promising that it would be the most famous in the Midwest. This time was the arrival of radio, and this became his platform. He started KTNT, which stands for Know the Name Truth. He gave news reports and attacked the American Medical Association. And this boosted his reputation. He grew a very high media profile, as I mentioned. He had very controversial takes on the medical community at the time. For example, he would tell his audience that their aluminum cookware was causing tuberculosis. He became known as the radio doctor. But he wasn't a doctor. It's insane. He was just this very colorful character. He was known for wearing a white suit with a purple shirt and drove an orchid-colored car. His views on politics and the media were so controversial, he was always being sued by someone, which a lot of the medical techniques back then should have been questioned. That isn't my issue. But he wasn't doing it from a place of warning people, helping anyone. He was saying, these doctors don't have the answers, but I do. They won't cure you, but I will. But it'll cost you. While in Iowa, Norman Baker got wind of another fraudster that made a profit off selling a bogus cancer cure in Kansas City. This man was named Charles Ozias. So Norman Baker enlists the help of another known medical swindler named Harry Hoxley, and together they begin promoting his cancer cure all over the radio. By 1930, he was running the Baker Institute in Muscatine and advertising his very, very expensive cancer cure. So this is the secret cure. I'm going to tell you what it consists of. He supposedly learned this from a South American witch doctor. So step one, you mix watermelon, clover seeds, and corn silk. Step two, boil these in alcohol and carbolic acid. Step three, inject this into the patient. This was their brilliant concoction. So he was bringing in patients, all the while continuing to denounce regular hospitals and doctors. He's saying they're uneducated fools, which, again, I can't emphasize this enough. It's just so comical to me that he is bashing other people for being uneducated when he's never stepped foot into a medical school. But he's telling his audiences that these doctors are incapable Of curing cancer. He even said that MD stands for more dough, as in cha ching, while he himself is charging thousands for his treatment. Okay, Norman. So, why did people believe him? Reportedly, he was one of the greatest showmen who ever lived. He was also handsome, wavy white hair, hypnotic eyes. He was very charismatic, charming, said all the right things, made these life changing promises. And he would also frame himself as the victim. He claimed that men were attacking and shooting up his hospital, although police could never find any evidence of it. So he's propping himself up like, I have the answers, I'm just trying to help you all, and look, they're trying to take me out. So although some of the public believed him, the state of Iowa did not. They filed an injunction against Norman and Hoxley. These men are not going to cure you, they're hacks. All the while, these two are hosting live events where they will whip out their injections of this useless elixir and quote-unquote cure patients in front of a Woodstock-sized audience. Can you believe that? Hundreds of people lining up to watch them inject civilians with their cure, this elixir, like a magic act. It seems like he picked up that showy, shocking type of mentality from his days as a hypnotist. And Baker's scam continued on for a while, as did his legal battles. The Iowa Supreme Court was filing injunction after injunction against Baker and his farce of a medical practice. Norman Baker even ran for governor of Iowa. He was always keeping himself in the press. After a few years, though, everyone was starting to realize that this guy is a hack. Folks in his hometown knew he was full of it because none of his patients were cured. He was getting sued left and right, so what is a swindler to do? He decided he needed to up and move, start fresh in a new place, he needed a new demographic of people to prey on. And in 1937, Norman came upon the Crescent Hotel, and he loved it. It was set in this beautiful, scenic Ozark town, it was a perfect place to set up this mega hospital, but why Arkansas? Well, at the time, it was also believed that fresh nature air was a cure for diseases such as tuberculosis, cancer, like we touched on earlier. Another part of Baker's treatment plan was that natural spring water. People thought that it could heal anything. So this was going to be another huge draw for patients to come to his hospital. Drinking and using the fresh spring water was also included in his medical treatment. It's very interesting. During the Civil War, many used the fresh spring water to heal ailments. Many claimed it could cure anything from baldness to female troubles to hay fever and even life-threatening illnesses like cancer. And at the time, Eureka Springs was down on its luck due to the Depression. So he would get the hotel out of steel and be welcomed by the community for bringing in business. So Dr. Baker moved all of his patients that were still living from Iowa to Arkansas, and he set up shop again. In November, 1937, his hospital opened, and in came thousands of desperate patients who got word that he could cure them. These unsuspecting patients would enter the hospital and would be greeted by staff, but also see Dr. Norman Baker's wall of healing. And by that, I mean jars and jars filled with tumors and human flesh. He displayed them for everyone to see for further proof of his promise in curing people. For those who had been dealing with these illnesses, this was another sign that they were in the right place. And at his hospital, this came at a high price. Let's talk money here. Baker would charge his patients up to $1,000 per treatment, which today would be about $20,000. This fake doctor went on to make hundreds of thousands of dollars in which he kept in various safe deposits known to only him and an accomplice, which was a woman named Thelma Yaunt, who was in on the scam. Inspectors believe that Baker's Hospital cleared $500,000 in one year. In today's world, that is over $10 million. $10 million in a year. And I can't say this enough. He wasn't curing anything. To sum it up, He was preying on such a vulnerable demographic. This was the 1930s, so very little is known about these diseases. Very little is known about cancer. If someone came up to you and said, Hey, I have the cure for cancer, and you yourself are sick or have a relative that you fear is dying, these folks had no way of cross-referencing him. They just had no way of knowing that he was full of it. I wouldn't trust this guy to put on a Band-Aid correctly. It's 2023 and there still isn't a cure for cancer, but nowadays at least there are different treatments, albeit they are far from a cure and very far from perfect. But if you are referred to a doctor, you can look them up. You can investigate and make sure they're legit. If you wanna invest money with somebody, you can punch their name into a computer and make sure that they aren't a little Bernie Madoff Jr. The internet is great in that way, Norman Baker couldn't have gotten away with this in today's world, but back then he could and he did. People just had no way of knowing that he was no doctor and he had no cure. He was just a sleazy scam artist who knew his treatment wasn't curing anyone. Preying on the ill or the vulnerable to make a buck is one of the lowest things anyone can do. Along with cancer, Norman also took in folks who were dealing with less serious conditions, like hemorrhoids and varicose veins, but always used that same elixir on every one of his patients, regardless of what they were diagnosed with. Patients who arrived at the Crescent for medical treatment were made a promise. If their cancer wasn't cured in three to six weeks, they could return for more treatment for free. Except for room and board and transportation. So not free. In fact, Norman would continue making money off them as long as they stayed there. The medical exams at Baker's Hospital consisted of pinching the patients, looking at them. I mean, imagine dropping your life savings to have a doctor stand over and look at you and pinch you and inject you with watermelon juice. I mean, really? The hospital didn't really have much technology-wise. There were no microscopes. It's believed that Dr. Baker did not perform surgeries on his patients, good, but he did perform autopsies, which is just, ugh. Sadly, but not shockingly, many of his patients died. But how did they conceal this to the other patients? You'd think they'd be like, uh, what happened to Larry down the hall? He was here yesterday, and now he's missing. So how did they continue to believe that these injectables were working? Well, the hospital had a cover-up routine. So a patient at the hospital would make friends with another patient. But the next day, they would wake up to see their new friend was gone. Baker's staff would come in and announce that that friend had been cured and had been hurried home in the middle of the night. When in reality, during the night, staff would remove the deceased patients to the morgue in the basement. And the other patients, who were in their final hours were also taken to the basement, so no one could hear their screams. This was all a big show in order to continue lying to the patients and taking money from them. So, not only was Norman Baker evil, but his staff, those who knew about this, are also culpable. Throughout the years, authorities tried to shut down Baker's operations countless times, The state of Arkansas had a really hard time doing this because his hospital was revitalizing Eureka Springs' economy. So yeah, it's unethical and against the law, but it was building back the community. But thankfully, it went federal, and after two years, the feds got Norman Baker on mail fraud. His hospital and cure was ousted as a hoax. And not only that, the court determined that his treatment accelerated the death of cancer patients. Meaning, those patients that came to Dr. Baker for help and ultimately passed away at the hospital could have had days, months, years longer to live. Norman Baker was sentenced to four years in prison and $4,000 in restitution. He served his sentence in Leavenworth and was eventually released Norman Baker himself went on to retire in Miami, Florida with his millions, and died on September 10th, 1958. I read some different reports that said that he had cancer and ultimately died of cirrhosis, but many reports said that at the end he was decayed, and the man who said that he had the cure couldn't cure himself in the end. Ironic, isn't it? And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. After Norman Baker was convicted, the Crescent was left ownerless until 1946 when it was purchased by a group of businessmen who wanted to return it to its former glory as a hotel. But the stain of Norman Baker and what he did there to those poor innocent victims couldn't be washed clean from the Crescent Hotel, and it appeared many of his long-gone patients never left. Several apparitions from the hospital have been seen and heard. Guests and staff have even seen Norman Baker's ghost in the hotel lobby. He's described as a man in a purple shirt, white linen suit, identically matching photographs of him. A nurse pushing a gurney has been seen near Dr. Baker's old morgue, and it's been heard squeaking and rattling down the halls of the hotel. The morgue itself is really spooky and many have seen a dark figure in and around it. It's unknown who this is or what it is, but there are several reports of people feeling touched down there and also encountering these massive cold spots. A hotel maintenance man saw all the washers and dryers mysteriously turn on in the middle of the night. The laundry room is located right next to the old morgue, which actually still contains Dr. Baker's autopsy table and a walk-in freezer. One of the most notable ghosts at the hotel is Theodora, a patient of Dr. Baker's. Housekeeping report meeting Theodora in room 419. She introduces herself as a cancer patient of Dr. Baker's. And after courtesies are verbally exchanged, she disappears. And there is activity all over. One morning, a cook at the hotel named Steve Garrison flipped on the lights to begin the day's preparations when, quote, some or all of the pots and pans came flying off their hooks. One hotel employee said that she met a couple that was staying on the first floor near the governor's suite. The couple told the guide that on their second night in the building, they were just sleeping with the sheet covering them, When the husband awoke in the middle of the night in a deep sweat, he realized that someone or something had tucked the couple in with a comforter. Apparently, they had been tucked in in the middle of the night by something or someone. There was another incident where two guests checked into room 221 one spring afternoon, and when they were leaving the elevator for the second floor, they immediately encountered a man wearing an all-black Victorian-style outfit. He smiled and asked the guests whether or not they needed help finding their room. They believed that this person worked at the hotel, so they said, yeah, sure. The man in the Victorian attire led them to their room, unlocked the door, pushed it open, and as they entered, the man stayed outside the door just smiling and also tilted his head side to side. One of the two said, oh, we we need to tip him. And when they spun around with some cash, the man had disappeared. Later that day, the two went down to the front desk and asked about this man wanting to give him the tip. And the hotel staff member said, no such person presently works at the hotel. Those stories always really get me where there is an actual interaction between you and a ghost. Those just really send me reeling. There's also another four-year-old spirit named Brecky who was the child of Richard and Mary Breckenridge Thompson, who died at the hotel due to complications from appendicitis. And he is reportedly seen by staff and guests throughout the hotel, often bouncing a ball. And there's also another very unique spirit at the Crescent Hotel. And that would be Morris, the famed hotel cat. He was once the hotel general manager for 21 years. And he was later buried on the hotel property, but This cat ghost, or ghost cat, is regularly seen and heard around the hotel. Can you believe it? A ghost cat? Yeah, there is just a lot going on at the Crescent Hotel. In recent years, more than 400 bottles were found buried in the backyard of the Crescent Hotel. They were discovered when an employee was digging in the ground to make way for an archery range at the hotel. And initially, they didn't know what these were. But they called up a team of archaeologists from the university, and the bottles are from Baker's Cancer Hospital and date back to 1938 to 1940, and match the bottles and Baker's promotional posters from decades before. So apparently in the 1960s, the owners ordered all of Baker's specimens to be removed from the building and dumped. They thought this meant, hey, take them to a landfill, but really they were just dumped behind the hotel. This area was taped off like a crime scene when they made this discovery. Along with a few bottles of what's assumed to be Baker's cure, the magic elixir, are 20 bottles that appear to be human tissue, human remains. Archaeologists also found an old bone saw that they believe Baker may have used to work on his patients. In the autopsies he performed, And today, all of these bottles are set up and a part of the Crescent's hotel ghost tour. Overall, what makes the Crescent Hotel so infamously haunted, some regard it as the most haunted hotel, is how much activity is reported throughout. The history of the hotel itself, Baker's Hospital, it's almost unbelievable everything that has gone down there. Many paranormal investigators believe that the hotel, its foundation, the land itself, energetically has the ability to absorb and release electromagnetic and psychic energies. Scientifically speaking, the Crescent Mountain, in which the hotel sits, is made of limestone, which investigators believe has supernatural energy. And speaking about energy, there's a particular hotspot on the third floor where the hotel connects to an annex. And this area itself is thought to be some kind of portal to the other side. Here, guests will often faint, pass out. They'll go pale, slide down the wall, and go unconscious. Always at this very same spot, with no reasonable explanation. Also strangely, this phenomenon will occur in spurts, happening for weeks and months, and then nothing for periods of time. Guests frequently have caught apparitions on camera, making it one of the most popular ghost tours in America. The 1886 Crescent Hotel and Spa was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2016 and continues to thrive, ghosts and all. This kind of haunting, really all kinds of hauntings, makes me wonder if the energy of the land, the hotel itself, draws in paranormal supernatural activity, or if the things that transpire in these places create the haunting. Meaning, are these places destined? to be these supernatural hotspots because of the land, the area, energetically, does it attract this kind of activity? It always just makes me wonder, kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg type of question. I would love to know your thoughts on that. I go back and forth, but either way, the Crescent Hotel and Spa is one of the spookiest places in America. It is now time for Ask Aves, and we've got some good questions today. Our first up is from Janae. She writes, Hi, Avery. You talk about ghosts and haunted places a lot. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if so, what is it? Well, thank you for your question, Janae. I have. I've actually had a couple. I'll talk about one that happened a couple years ago that really stuck with me. I frequently feel that I'm visited when I'm falling asleep. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. But a few years ago, my best childhood friend passed away, and it was a sudden, unexpected death. She was only in her 20s, and it was devastating. I think about her all the time. We were inseparable when we were younger. She would often spend the night at my house. We would have slumber parties. We joked that she lived at my house. And when she passed away, it was just the most shocking, unbelievable feeling. To this day, I still, it's just hard to wrap my head around. She was such a lively, funny friend, and she was young, only in her late 20s when she died. And it was just devastating all around. But a few days after she died, I was actually out of town staying at a friend's house in her guest bedroom. I was out of town for work. And as I was falling asleep, I had been laying there for about 20-30 minutes when I felt the bed shift, like someone was tossing and turning on the other side of the bed. In half asleep, I immediately recognized who this was. Back when we were much younger, when that friend would spend the night with me, we would share my bed And she was such a tosser and a turner. When she would flip and flop on the bed in the middle of the night, the whole bed would shake and I would always say, hey, go to sleep. And that was the exact feeling in the bed. Subconsciously, I thought, oh, it's her flopping around. Go to sleep. I then kind of came to and realized, whoa, I quickly sat up, looked over. There was no one there. I ran over and turned on the light. Again, no one there but it was such a small, unique memory with her that I had not thought of in 15 years. Completely forgot about it until that moment. And I do believe that it was her, my friend who had just passed. I had been praying a lot and talking to her in recent days since finding out she passed. And I think she visited me in a really unique way that only I would recognize. And it was not a scary feeling It was just like, oh, hi. And again, this happened in an entirely different city that I don't believe she had ever even been to. So it was very validating for me. I've always believed in the supernatural, but this to me was just further confirmation. So yeah, that's when I have a lot of visits from the supernatural realm for some reason. Maybe it's because you're kind of floating in and out of consciousness when you're half asleep, half awake. You're more vulnerable, maybe more open, but I will continue to share some of my other paranormal experiences and other episodes. Next question comes from Cameron asks How old are you? I've been asked this so many times, so I'm gonna answer it. I am 30 years old. I'm going to be 31 at the end of this month. I'm very excited. I enjoy aging, it's a gift that not everybody gets. Today's final question is from Rena. Is there any haunted place you would never go? Oh, yes. Amneyville Horror House. Absolutely not. Would not step foot in there. I would not step foot on the lawn. I don't play around with that demonic stuff. Would not go inside. You couldn't pay me. I'm really down and open for anything, but those kinds of places where there's just uh, darkness and demonic and... No, 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 no. I... I'm good in the light. I'm good over here with God. That's where I like to stay. Those places are too much for me. That's going to wrap up today's Ask Abe segment. So make sure to send in your burning questions to the email below. I love hearing from you guys. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of those linked below. And if you want these episodes early and ad-free, join the Avery After Dark Patreon. That is also linked below. It's $3 a month, less than a cup of coffee nowadays, and you can support Avery After Dark and get all your episodes ad-free and early. So linking that below, I appreciate you all so much. I hope today's spooky episode was a nice addition to your day. And until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.